Good morning. Today is Monday, May 30th, 2022. In this week's Torah portion, the Parsha Bamidbar, which is the beginning of the fourth book of the Torah, the book of Bamidbar, we learn about the organization and the structure of the tribes of Israel as they traveled 40 years from Egypt to Israel. Each tribe had a Nasi, a prince, one person in charge, the head of the tribe. And at the beginning of our Parsha, we are given the list of names of these Nasiim, these leaders. And we read near the beginning of the Parsha, Lagod, concerning the tribe of God, one of the 12 tribes. The name of the man who was the leader of the tribe was El Yasaf ben Deuel. El Yasaf, the son of Deuel. All right, that's his name. El Yasaf, the son of Deuel. The problem is that just a few verses later in the middle of our Torah portion this week, his name is repeated. Venasi Livne God, and the Nasi, the head of the tribe of God, was El Yasaf, yes, we know El Yasaf ben. Ru'el, with a resh instead of dalit. Now, I understand that in Hebrew, the letter resh and the letter dalit are very similar. And it's easy for a person to make a mistake reading one for the other. Sometimes it's printed and there's a mistake that's made because they're so close together in appearance, you could make a mistake and put the wrong one or read the wrong one. But of course, in the Torah itself, there is no mistake. Why is it that in one place his name is El Yasaf, the son of Deuel, with the Dalit at the beginning, and the next place his name is El Yasaf, the son of Ruel, with a Resh at the beginning? Which one is it? And why is there a discrepancy? So there are multiple answers to this question. I'd like to share with you the answer of Rabbi Chaim Azulai. He says that the correct name is Deuel with a Dalit. Just a little pet peeve. The name of the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Dalit with a T at the end. I know many people pronounce it as Dalid with a D at the end, but that's not correct. It's Dalit with a T at the end. Okay, just in parentheses. So Chaim Azulai says that the correct name is Deuel, but sometimes he is called Reuel as a reward, as a title of honor, because Reuel means a friend of God. What did this person, Ru'el, Deuel, do to be honored that he should deserve to be called the friend of God? Because this person had a reason to be upset. He had a reason to protest. He had a reason to complain about something that happened to him. And he did not. Because there was another tribe that was younger than his tribe, and they were given a certain honor and put before him, and it was not fair, 
And he had a reason to be upset. He had a reason to complain. But he remained silent. And I think most of us recognize how difficult that is. Most of us, well, I'll say myself, have difficulty not complaining when we have nothing to complain about. But especially when we actually have something to complain about when we're right, to hold ourselves back under those circumstances is really very, very difficult. And yet, this person was able to do that. He was able to remain silent and he was rewarded for all time by the Torah referring to him sometimes not by El Yasaf ben Duel, his correct name, but rather El Yasaf ben Ruel, this honorific, meaning he is a friend of God. So I want to tell you this story. I have a set of Svarim, of books in my library. This is one of the volumes. It is a, a, a set called Stechemed. And it consists of nine volumes this size. So it takes up, let's say, on my shelf, about this much space on my shelf. For years, many years, I use this set regularly and often. And I confess, I have not looked at this set more than a handful of times over the last few years. The name of the set is Stechemet. <clears throat> it was written by Rabbi Chizkiyahu Medini in the mid-1800s. And this set is the first encyclopedia of Jewish law ever written. It takes 1,800 years of Talmudic discussion in Jewish law, and it is distilled and organized into this work of nine volumes. Now, the truth is, I don't use this so often anymore because now there are other works that have superseded it. First of all, the internet. Most of this material, amazingly, is available on the internet, especially at a site which, if you don't know about this site, you should learn about this site, Safaria. Safaria, S-E-F-A-R-I-A, is an incredible site. It's a website. It's also an app you can put on your phone. Basically, all of Torah literature is on this site, plus many, many other things. It is extremely worthwhile. It is a gigantic amount of Torah learning that you can have available at every moment. I use it often. There's another amazing project in recent years called the Bar Ilan Responsa. And this started back in the old days when people used to use CDs and they put all Responsa literature tens of thousands of volumes, many of them not widely available. They put them on CDs available for anyone to search and to learn and to, and to research. And the set that I use most frequently now when I have a need for a Talmudic encyclopedia is this set, Encyclopedia Talmudis. 
Encyclopedia of Talmud. The difference between this one and this one is that this set has 300 of the greatest scholars in the world working on it. It has been in the works for several decades. I don't know exactly, 40, 50 years, something like that. And so far, I'm up to volume number 47, which has at the end of its volume, the entry on Mechiras Chometz, selling Chometz. Mechiras Chometz starts with the letter Mem. In other words, 47 volumes, 300 scholars, 50 years, they're halfway done. One scholar, nine volumes, and the whole thing. So what Rabbi Medini did is basically he wrote the equivalent of, to use a secular work, Encyclopedia Britannica, by himself, with no internet, no library. He did not have a library. No resources. No index. All from memory. It is literally unbelievable. Here's another pet peeve of mine. Usually when people say the word literally, they really mean figuratively. I don't mean figuratively. I mean, literally, it is, it is impossible to understand how this person could have accomplished this work. Because not only did he have to memorize and understand clearly thousands of volumes of Talmudic law, but then he had to distill everything in those thousands of volumes and organize it and present it in an organized fashion so it could be searched by anyone who wants to find it. It is incredible, without exaggeration. It is one of the greatest intellectual feats in human history. There is simply no other way to describe it. Stay Chemed, Rabbi Mendini. <clears throat> now, Rabbi Medini told his family the following story. So this is not a story that somebody tells about him. This is the story that Rabbi Medini says about himself, and he said this to his family. He told his family that as a young man, he did... <laughs> He did not have a particularly good memory. And he was not particularly intelligent. He was just a run-of-the-mill, you know, student. And something happened in his life. And as a result of this incident in his life, he felt this is his perception. He felt that he had become elevated and he somehow had 
supernatural powers of intellect and he was able to create this masterpiece, Stehemet. That's the only way he could explain how he was able to come up with this, not having a good memory, not being so smart. And here is the story that he told. He was a young student, recently married. He was studying in a kolel, a place of advanced Talmudic study for young men. And there was someone else in this kolel, studying in this place, who was jealous of him. So, this kolel, this yeshiva, they had a woman who would come every day to clean up. Clean up the study hall, clean up the rooms, maybe cook the meals. And she worked there. This other man, this other student, was a a Torah scholar. It's quite shocking what happened. He gave a bribe to this woman that she should publicize a um, complaint against Rabbi Medini that Rabbi Medini had acted improperly towards this woman. I mean, it's a brazen lie. It was completely untrue. Just, I mean, just goes to show you the level that a person can be completely consumed by jealousy, just like a person can be consumed by anger and do things that are totally out of character. A person consumed with jealousy that a Torah scholar should bribe a woman to, to make false accusations against another Torah scholar because he was jealous of them. But Nebuch, I mean, you know, that, that, that happens. So this woman accepted the bribe. She leveled the accusation. People believed her. And the Stechemed, Rabbi Medini, suffered tremendous shame and abuse. And he had to leave and run away. Now, the truth of the matter was that the head of this school did not believe this woman. He thought that she was lying and he fired her because he thought that she was lying. That didn't help Rabbi Medini because he had already been ashamed. His reputation was ruined. He had already run away. It didn't help him at all. A short time later, the bribe money ran out. And this housekeeper, this woman who had been working, she was fired, but she had been working. She had no more money. So she came and found Rabbi Medini. And she said to him, I've done a terrible thing. I accepted a bribe. I accused you falsely. Of course, you never did anything wrong. I was wrong. I was poor. I didn't have money to feed my children. It's not an excuse. I was wrong. Please. I want to now publicly clear your name, publicly admit my terrible sin. Your reputation will be returned. You can come back to the yeshiva and take your place as the scholar that you deserve to be. The only thing that I ask 
is if you please speak to the head of the kolel to ask if I could get my job back because I can't feed my family. I can't feed my children. So Rabbi Medini was tempted to take up her offer. He would be able to reclaim his reputation. He would be able to come back to the to the kolel to study. But then he realized the situation right now is that there has been a terrible Chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name, whether it's true or not. But the story that everyone believed that a scholar, Rabbi Medini, would act inappropriately with this woman, and people believed it, and that got around, that was a Chilul Hashem. It was a desecration of God's name. God's name was diminished as a result of this terrible, uh, uh, immoral story. Doesn't matter that it wasn't true, but that's the that was the result. So he thought to himself, what's going to happen now? If I take this woman's offer and she publicly recants her story and she tells what happened, she was bribed by this other person and she gets her job back, what's the result going to be? Well, of course, for me, there will be a very specific result. I'll get my reputation back. But what's the result for God? Right now, there has been one Chilul Hashem, one event, one uh, um, one event of desecrating God's name. If this woman tells her story, there are going to be two. Because now there's going to be a new story. You mean to say that a Torah scholar could be so consumed with jealousy he would hire a woman to accuse, falsely accuse another Torah scholar? That would be a tremendous Chilul Hashem. That would be a tremendous desecration of God's name. And people weren't going to weren't going to forget the first one. So, in other words, the world will be left with two events that desecrate God's name instead of just one. Rabbi Medini decided, "I'm staying quiet. I don't want the offer." Yes, it would clear my name, but in terms of how it will affect God, doesn't do any good. I don't want it. So he decided to do nothing. He did not take this woman's offer. He would not allow her to publicly clear his name. He did one thing. He went back to the head of the school and convinced him to give this woman her job back, but on the condition that she never reveal what actually happened, that of course what she said earlier was false. That was the condition of her employment. And the head of the school, who had never thought never believed this accusation to begin with, was very happy to, to, I mean, he wanted this woman to have to take responsibility for what he did, but that was the condition. He hired her again. She had her job and the secret remained. He never returned to his reputation that he had before. I mean, imagine the selflessness, the sacrifice not to speak out to rightly clear your own reputation when it has been dragged through the mud. That's what happened. That's what the Stechemet told his family. And then the Stechemet Rebbe Medini told his family that after that event, he became a different person. Somehow, he merited super 
intellectual prowess. He and was able to do things with his mind that he had never been able to do before. Imagine this. One person sitting down in a room. Again, no library, no internet, no sources. Sitting down in a room. And again, again, just to put it in secular terms, writing the entire Encyclopedia Britannica meaning writing the encyclopedia of all of Talmudic law covering 1,800 years. From memory, organizing it, distilling it, he never would have been able to do this before. And somehow he felt that he was being given some kind of gift. And he told his family, you know why I merited this? I was not like that. I merited because I had a right to complain and I didn't do it. Because I had a right to open my mouth and I kept my mouth closed. That is the attribute of El Yasaf ben Deuel. He had a right to complain. He had a right to speak up. But he didn't do it. And he was rewarded by sometimes being called by this honorific in the Torah, El Yasaf ben Reuel, the friend of God. We all know people who complain constantly for no reason. And sometimes the person complaining has the same name as our name. But to hold back when we do have a complaint, when speaking up will harm someone else, but it will clear our name, when it will cause something else negative, but I at least will be able to get it off my chest, that self-control can transform you into Ru'el, a friend of God. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.